0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 240. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are joined this week by a very special guest. We have Kelsey from the Lost Weekend Co. Kelsey, welcome to Monoreal Radio.
1: Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. I'm a long-time
2: listener, and it's truly surreal to be on here.
0: We, we, we hope we can live up to the hype.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're super excited to have you on, especially for this film in particular. So we've been talking a while about reviewing Freaky Friday because Sean had never seen it, and I really wanted to do it after Jamie Lee Curtis won the Oscar, but it would have grown our schedule and some of the other stuff that we had planned off a bit too much so it was so worth waiting for we knew we wanted to have Kelsey on so this has been months and months in the works um, and we figured what better way to follow up our review of Parent Trap which was Lindsay Lowen's first film not only with Disney it was her first film period yeah. with this one
0: yeah I mean it, it was sort of seamless but you're right if we would have gotten it in when Jamie Lee Curtis won her Oscar It would have thrown everything off. And then we wouldn't have had happy accidents like talking about the greatest game ever played the same week that Liv merges with the PGA. So, I mean, it is a blessing in disguise. But, yes, admittedly, I had not seen this film prior to sitting to discuss it for Monorail Radio. 2003, I'm 17 years old. This is is 20
2: years old already. This is another one.
0: Yeah, and thank you for that reminder. I 17 years old this I was not in the target demographic. Now 17 year old Sean liked Lindsay Lohan, but that doesn't mean that I was going to go spend my 850 to go see this. There were other movies I was going to go see.
2: But that's sort of surprising to me because you are such a fan of classic Disney and this is the third time that they have remade this film. So I'm surprised that just based on the title, you didn't go for it because they did it. um, I believe it was in the seventies, I think with Jodie Foster. Um, I've not seen that one, but I'm very curious because at the time she switches with her mother and they totally leaned into the quote unquote role of, the woman's place is in the home. So any anything that she had to do, like there was no career. The daughter wasn't taking her mother's place at a job. It was just a bunch of like, I love Lucy-esque hijinks that were going on. So I am kind of curious to see it for the slapstick element. And then they did it again uh, in, I think it's it was- 1995. The, yes. Yeah. Mid nineties with Shelley Long and Gabby Hoffman.
1: Yeah, that one I haven't seen. I did watch the old one, and I didn't quite make it through. Um, it was definite 1950s slapstick style and not very engaging, in my opinion. But this is one of my all-time favorites. I was in second grade when this one came out, so I was the prime young girl demographic for this. And this was my first movie crush with Chad Michael Murray. Um the beginning of a long obsession with Lindsay Lohan before uh, things changed later and truly one of my all time favorite movies.
2: Were you also big into pop punk? Yes. Okay. Oh,
1: Thanks to this movie. Yeah. This movie got me into
2: it. Yeah.
0: Yes. I think a lot of people got into good Charlotte right after watching this movie. Good Charlotte, simple plan, like all of it. Yeah. Anybody that you can see playing at Epcot now for free (laughs) had a career based on the popularity that was this movie. And I I did not know yes. that that was Jodie Foster in the original Freaky Friday. So even as a child, they've put her under duress. She's been in Panic Room. She's been in Contact. She's been in... Uh, she was Clarice, right, in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So this poor woman can't just have a reggae. <laughs> she can't do a rom-com. She can't do... Uh, she can't do a period piece. No, we're just going to take Jodie Foster... The closest thing she had to a period piece was Maverick. We're just going to put her in duress since she's a child. Unbelievable. I had no idea that that was Jodie Foster. (laughs) Well, obviously, there have been a lot of changes between 2003 and the first uh, iteration of this film. There's been a lot of changes since 2003 and 2023. How does this film age? That on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today.
2: This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co. Designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees, which I am actually as we speak wearing the Lost in the Woods concert tee because we're going to head to Epcot this evening and I wanted to wear my Kristoff shirt while we're by Norway. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections.
0: Rebellious teen rocker Anna Coleman and her mother Tess, a successful therapist, are constantly at odds. Between the generation gap and an impending marriage to Tess's fiance Ryan, uh, tensions reach a boiling point. When Anna's band The Pink Slip get an offer to audition for Wango Tango, she must try to convince her mother to let her skip the rehearsal dinner in favor of the audition despite the fact that Anna is the maid of honor. The two have a blow-up fight at a Chinese restaurant where the owner's mother gives them each a fortune cookie. They open the cookies not realizing the magic powers that they hold. The next morning they wake up to see that they have switched bodies. Horrified, they hide their secret until they can figure out how to switch back, meaning Anna must go to work as a therapist and Tess must go Go back to high school. Meanwhile, the wedding looms over their heads, and Ryan becomes suspicious that something seems off. At school, Tess sees that Anna doesn't have it so easy. Between her English teacher being out to get her, to boy trouble, to drama with her friends, it becomes an eye opening experience. For Anna, she starts to see the imperfections in her mom's life, but it doesn't stop her from giving her mother a makeover while also inadvertently threatening her career with a TV appearance gone wrong. As time goes on, their stances on each other soften as they begin to see how they can learn from each other and help each other out. At the rehearsal dinner, Anna's bandmates crash the party, as does her crush Jake, who has taken a liking to quote-unquote Tess over Anna because he has no idea that, as... The day has gone on, he's been talking to Anna and not her mother. Ryan, trying to win Anna over, allows her to skip the rehearsal to go to the audition and voices his frustrations that he believes that Tess has made him look like he doesn't care about Anna or her brother Harry. With some help from... Anna in Tess's body, the pink slips nail their audition. Back at the rehearsal, Anna as Tess gives an empowering speech about how Ryan is accepted into the family. Having mended their relationship, Anna and uh, Tess are switched back into their rightful uh, bodies where the next day Tess marries Ryan. Anna kisses Jake and her band plays at the wedding party. So for those who know the plot of this film, I know this seems like I kind of rushed through it, but... This is one of those movies, and we we have this... I don't want to call it a problem, but we're... It's a difficulty explaining a plot like this. We kind of have the same difficulty when we're talking about Marvel films, especially once the multiverse got introduced, right? Because you've got multiple versions of the same character. This one's here, this one's here, this one's in this one's body, this one's an imposter. So we tried to simplify it because... This movie really does flash back and forth. Like on paper, I don't think that the film reads as well as it plays on screen.
2: I would agree. There's definitely a lot more layers to it. But just having done the parent trap last week and having listened to our review of the Haley Mills parent trap, how many times did we flub Susan in so-and-so's body or Hallie (laughs) as Annie? So, yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to keep it simple here.
0: So let's go from the opening credits. I love the open of this film, how you have the Turtles version of Happy Together into that pop punk late 90s, early 2000s version of it. The generation gap just there like it i think that it's so underappreciated how perfect it is
2: i knew you were going to say that um i love that transition i wish they would have kept it going though where they would have kept the original turtles version while they were focused on tess and then they would have kept cutting back and forth to the pop punk version of it when they were focused on um anna
1: i didn't even think about how important that opening scene was My parents loved this movie too. This was like the one movie as a family we could all agree on. And my dad was so into the music of this one. And I think it is just that perfect transition in the beginning of things that connect to both of us. Um, And then also just that opening scene transitioning into the second version of the song and teenage Anna and her being pulled out of bed. And it's just such a classic early 2000s movie. Plus that taste of my parents' generation, it's just, it's perfect.
2: Yeah, no, it was the perfect song choice and the blend was so seamless. The only thing that is so unbelievably distracting to me is how dirty Lindsay Lohan's feet are. Like, did no (laughs) one on set tell this girl to clean First of all, oh, I do. Every single time it is so jarring. I'm like, first of all, the set is filthy. Like, somebody vacuum this thing. And I just can't believe that no one told her and they let her go on like that.
1: It's like the pirate foot in Pirates of the Caribbean.
2: Yes. It's an icon. Yeah, not hairy, but just as dirty. (laughs) It's so bad.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch that opening scene. I did not notice
2: that. Once once you see it, you're never gonna be able to unsee it. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I know you love this movie, and now I've ruined it. <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> it's okay. a, it's a film. You you don't think that they did that intentionally? Absolutely not. She's supp- she's supposed to be like a dirty punk kid. That's what she's supposed to be. But she's th- not. I mean, listen she's a pretty girl, but like her thing is that she is not at all put together.
2: I I will give you that, but the greasy hair covers that enough. We did not need to purposely dirty. No, I think that she was either wearing Uggs or they let her walk around on set barefoot and they should not have done that.
0: Uh, All right.
2: Like I (laughs) would not get in bed and go to sleep like that. I hope nobody is.
1: I wouldn't get in bed and sleep with socks on, period, so.
2: Yeah,
0: no.
1: Not believable. (laughs) Definite accident.
0: Not how I thought we were going to bat lead off, but here (laughs) we are. Um, I think that, that the open, in general, does a really good job of showing imperfections in both of them, right? Because Anna's, I mean, look, she's teenage trope, especially in 2003. She's a teenage trope. But what they did, I thought, well with Tess is that you see how imperfect she is like when she pulls the wrong way into the parking lot and she blows her tires out, right? But she's doing that because she's juggling too many phones because she's the work-obsessed parent. Now, we've seen this a thousand times, but the difference is, like, she's not Danny Tanner, right? Like, she's not a bumbling fool. She just she's just distracted because she has too much on her plate.
2: I agree. Um, I think they did a really good job of developing these characters very quickly through montage. Um, I think they had a bit of an easier time with Tess because it's easier to show her, um, her busy lifestyle. Like, you know, she's painting her nails while she's meditating in the morning and letting it dry. She's trying to get one kid out of bed. She's trying to feed the other, make sure everybody gets out on time for school. Um, So I think it's easier to show her character and not make it seem like a trope because, you know, you're just leaning into that. She's organized. She's got to keep it together. And really, until we're going to learn when Ryan comes into the picture, she was single parenting for a while. So she kind of has to be this way. I think with Anna, um, it was a little bit more challenging so this didn't come off like teen angst. And you said, you know, she is very much as a trope, but I kind of disagree because I think that by taking it one step further and having Anna constantly feeling like everyone's out to get her, yes, that is very much angsty, but I feel like the way that it plays out, she's not wrong. If they had just left it where she felt like, oh my God, you're trying to ruin my life without actually showing that the brother, the teacher everyone is actually picking on her, then it would have felt tropey, but it doesn't.
1: Yeah. I think uh, once Tess is Anna, the scene with, uh, I guess I'm skipping pretty far ahead, so maybe we talk about this later, but the scene with Mr. Bates
0: is just so perfect for that. Yes. Speaking of Mr. Bates, we get Anna to school. We see her interact with her friends we see that she's obviously not talking to this girl, Stacy, but her mother is. And you can't tell exactly... We obviously know there's been a falling out, but we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's that Stacy is phony nice and had a falling out with Anna, or if Anna gave up on her because she didn't want to be friends with the Goody Two Shoes because now she wants to be in the rock band. I actually think that as that subplot plays out, that is actually very well done. And it's not something that I saw coming. I I thought she just gave up on Miss Prim Proper to go hang out with her friends in the band. Um, but when she gets into Bates's class, like for what it's worth, she's completely right about 1984. And I'm glad that they dropped this in here now and that, to your point, they paid off on it later because— yeah. It was irrational without knowing yeah. where the film's going to go. Mm-hmm. It was irrational that he would have failed her when he when she was completely right about her synopsis of the of the novel.
2: I agree. Um, I want to just circle back to the Stacy moment real quick, because I feel like that is kind of a more important beat than it gets credit for, because, you know, if you think about the reality of it, like my mom was very much involved growing up like I I always thought we had a pretty good relationship where I was able to speak freely around her and she knew very much what was going on in my life so if it was ever like oh no we don't talk to her anymore my mom like no questions asked it was like okay and she wouldn't go out of her way like she would be polite if we saw them somewhere but she's not going to like Volunteer information, or like try to force the conversation. So I think that is really important for the Tess Anna dynamic to set it up that Tess is gonna sort of dismiss Anna's feelings in the situation. And I yeah. mean, like, yes, of course, be polite, say hi, but she doesn't really value Anna's feelings in this moment. And being that you know we are gonna unpack this a little bit more later, being. That she is a therapist. You shouldn't be so dismissive. Especially of your daughter.
1: I I actually laughed at that scene. Because that is so how my mom was. And I'm so close with my mom. But she's the type of mom that's like. There's good in everyone. And you can see it. If you just like dig under the surface a little bit. So it would be. The exact same scenario. My mom also has a background in psychology. So I feel like it's them being the problem solver mom and thinking that they know better and they can see under the surface.
2: You're absolutely right. And that that really is Tess's character is thinking yeah. that she knows better. But it creates yeah. very good conflict between them. <laughs> yeah.
0: It does. And I love that when she gets to detention the first time, there's an immediate food swap yeah, so you not know the
2: first time at the rodeo. Not her first yeah. time there.
0: And then when she gets sent the second time and she brings the teacher's aid a power and she just cheers <laughs> her with it. Like yeah. obviously there is a, I, I wish that they would have explored that relationship a little bit more. Like I wish that I wish that Tess as Anna would have been sent to detention to have a conversation with her later on.
2: Or some of the other kids to get a deeper understanding that some of these kids are just misunderstood and that they don't actually belong there. But um, it's kind of interesting, though, because that relationship gets so well developed so quickly with the swapping food and the cheers. I forget that this takes place in one day, like you hardly even notice that the wardrobe is still the same. And it's not until she gets home when Tess calls out that She's been to detention twice that day. It's like, oh, yeah, that wasn't like over the course of a week. Um, yeah, the whole
1: movie's in like 48 hours.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's part of it. But they do a good job with the, I, I think that really speaks highly of the pacing because it doesn't feel like it's dragging on even though it's one day because you also get another beat in there uh, where Tess talks to Jake where she's actually talking to him. It's not like the first scene where she's with her friends and she kind of freaks out a little bit. I think this is important because I like that we see she's able to have a conversation with him. And that doesn't all come from Tess as Anna talking to Jake. I like that she's able to do it on her own
0: first. Yeah. What doesn't make sense, though, is Bates interrupts that conversation, right? This is the most cringe thing in the whole world. Not only does he interrupt it and he goes, you should be ready for your honors exam. And wait, you just failed her for being right. And now you care about her taking an honors exam. But it it almost defies logic that she would even have the grades to get into an honors program because you've done nothing but sabotage her the entire year. See,
2: that was all lost on me because I can't even get past him summoning her like she's a dog and whistling at her.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I, that's exactly what I was going to say.
2: It's so uncomfortable, but you're absolutely right. He is such a hypocrite because he's failing her and, and now he's telling her you need to do good on a test. He's the worst. He is the worst. <laughs> and I mean, he sort of gets his come up I don't want to get too far ahead with it, but like Tess calling him out wasn't enough. Like I, I wish that Anna would have gotten her own dig and it would have come full circle. Cause it wasn't enough for, for Tess just to put him down while she's in Anna's body. He he yeah. deserved more than that for for
0: whistling at her. Ew. Disney has not done that man any service he's (laughs) here and then then he was in the country bears film where he played the father (laughs) then (laughs) he he was then he was in I think he was in a decom. was he in Eddie's million dollar cook-off he was in a decom that we just recently watched and I was like man this poor guy just, like, doesn't catch up Yeah, because you, you said
2: it might have been Eddie's million-dollar cook-off because you said, oh, it's net. Like, while we were watching it, it's you were Ned like, the it's Ned. the Head. Bing! It, I think For it Round was Hard Eddie's. Day. Yeah, yeah. No, I know where he's from, but I I know that – I I think uh, it was Eddie's million-dollar cook-off, if I had to guess, because that was pretty recent that you just said
0: that. Yeah. it's D- Disney owes him. They owe him – a better role a in role, something yeah. <laughs> like he's he's paid the price at this point right
2: um yeah. in country bears um he was the father
1: okay i i swear that movie's like a fever dream i don't really believe it was <laughs> real
0: <laughs> if it's i think so we obviously we talked about it on the show i'll link it in the show notes for anybody that wants to go back and listen to it i will die on the hill that it's either the greatest film of all time or one of the worst films ever <laughs> or made. Or the worst. <laughs> it, there's no in-between. It, it's not like The Room, which is the ho- worst film of all time, but now you like it for how bad it is. Country Bears is either a horrific train wreck fever dream of a film, or it is the most brilliant spinal tap parody that Disney <laughs> could have ever come out with and because you don't know if it's supposed to be taken seriously or not i lean into it being a parody that is just so good you think it's awful
2: i think christopher walken tells us everything that we need to know about whether to parody rewatch or
0: not. It. <laughs> when he ha- when he sm- oh no country bear Hall. boom i think it's all oh, there's th- that that is a that is a a live on facebook watch party
2: oh that's a good idea yeah we might have I'll to
0: tackle that yeah we may have to tackle that but let's <laughs> let's move forward with freaky friday here um let's talk about her, let's talk about Tess getting to her office and what is this is a this is a line that i want printed on a t-shirt i would wear it seven i would wear it seven days out of the week because it is the most relatable line that we may have ever heard in a disney film when Evan right says this morning was good, but then I got up. It is it's it is the, one of the best lines in in cinema history. It it's great. It's hilarious.
2: Um, I mean, we are going to talk about some of the very dated portrayals of the patient therapist relation that this film depicts. Um. But before we before we really break that down, we would be remiss not to mention Willie Garson, who is the actor who plays Evan. Um, because we probably... We're going to talk about the cast later, but because he's not a main character, I don't want to skip over him because he has since passed away. And at first I was watching this and I was like, is that... I remember him very specifically from Boy Meets World because he was somebody that worked in Alan's grocery store. And any time he was <laughs> Leonard Spinelli was the character. And just on the name alone, they gave him so many great comedic beats. But it was always this like nervous Nelly type of a character. And he's such a great character actor. And I, I loved seeing him in this. I thought he was great.
1: I did not know he was in Boy Meets World. I he mean, I wasn't.
2: Yeah, it was just a couple of episodes a where he was guest cast. Yeah, yeah. but um, he well, he was so good in that, and he's great here too.
0: I feel like by the second season they phased that character out. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but I I like that we get that view of of Tess's day to day, and then she's at the grocery store and. You know, spare no expense like John Hammond. She wants the halibut, not the salmon.
2: She is doing way too much in the 48 hours leading up to her wedding. Like, this should have all been done already. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she should be on PTO right now.
2: <laughs> exactly. But I think that is kind of important for the character too, because even Evan yeah. is panicking about how do I reach you while you're on your honeymoon? There's no service on the north side of the island. And she's still saying she will pick up for him, which, I mean, kudos to being so dedicated to your to your patient. But at the same time, like, healthy boundaries. Like, yeah. Like, she should be taking her time. So I, I think that's yeah. really just... Sort of an exaggeration to show, um, you know, again, how regimented she is.
1: Yeah. And I think the whole single mom personality of there's no one else to pick this up, there's no one else to help, which I'm sure at work there could be someone else, but um, she's so used to that at home. So it carries over.
0: You're absolutely right. Let's talk about Harry, her little brother, Anna's little brother, Harry. Because now we're back in the house, we see it's it's funny when now Ryan's in the house with I with who I assume are his children from his first marriage. We don't ever find out who these two other little kids are.
2: Yeah, I think those
1: are Harry's friends. I did think
2: that. I did think that by the time they got to the um the ice cream bit. But, yeah, you're right. In the beginning, it does seem... It does sort of play like they're going to
0: be a blended family. Because he shows up and then they come in. Yeah. It, it's not yeah. like they were there the whole time. Um, but you can see how they're going to steal the ice cream and Ryan's going to let it slide and he's not going to say anything. And Harry does the old, oh, this, this dad thing's going to be really hard on you. I like the relationship that they start to develop with them. Uh, the, the, the only problem that I have with that character is that the constant, and I obviously it's going to play out later because Tess is going to see that Anna not always the one causing the trouble, but the, the trope of the little brother always getting away with it. It, it wears on me personally. I, it wears on me kind of quick. I, if you would have done it once, you once would have been enough to set the table and then have Tess see it for herself. It does happen a few too many times, though.
2: I mean, I, I kind of think you do have to have that big setup for once Tess is in Anna's shoes, because if it happened once or twice, we might think it's too subtle. You kind of had to be a little bit over the top. So the audience is clued in that that is, you know, kind of a big deal. Um, I like this scene better for for Ryan because we get such a payoff later when he talks about I wanted Anna to yeah. come to me and like me on her own terms.
1: Yeah, and the way he reacts to her friends, too. Yes. He's so open to being what they need.
0: Right, because they're in the garage, they're practicing, and now it's after 6 o'clock, so Tess shuts the breaker off and puts an end to the rehearsal. The
2: audio in this scene is top tier. I love how you get the muffled audio inside the house. Um You know, and obviously the song is still very loud, but like it really does put you in the shoes of the rest of the family while band practice is going on. I I think it's great. Um, Something else that was really surprising to learn, though, is that both Lindsay and Jamie Lee Curtis learned to play guitar for this film. That's actually her playing. I thought that she was faking it, but they actually had the band Orgy coach this garage band on like how to actually look like legitimate rock stars so that they weren't just phoning it in I I read that
1: about Jamie Lee Curtis how she demanded that she be coached on how to look realistic when she's faking playing and I was so impressed by that since that's only one little scene for her
2: even even here with Lindsay too like I should have realized she's playing because she does have a very laser focused look instead of just like enjoy. I mean, like in some of the closer shots, like where she's singing, you do get that camaraderie between the bandmates and and that sells. But when she's actually doing the solo, I, I should have realized like, no, she's playing.
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned yeah. that because I have that as a note, how convincing they look when they're yeah. playing. Right. Because I've said a thousand times on this show, especially when we're doing a sports film, how you can tell when you just like cast a talented actor who has no athletic ability whatsoever. And you could tell that they're faking it because they just look so stiff. The same can be said about, when you have a film where you cast musicians and you could tell that no whoever it is, it's like, man, you cast them because they're talented, but you could tell they have never picked up a musical instrument in their life. They have no idea how yeah. to play this guitar because they just look like a board.
2: You also ripped Haley Mills and her double apart <laughs> in the parent trap for that. There was awful. she was I mean, she wasn't even holding the fret.
0: No, she wasn't even holding the thing the right way. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. And Haley Mills is incredibly talented. But can we also just like call the fact that they couldn't find a be- they couldn't find another band to coach them? There's something about <laughs> the band Orgy coaching these two actresses in a Disney film,
2: right? Because their big hit was Blue Monday, which was a cover, and that was big in the '90s. This is like four years removed from their peak, but I mean, maybe that's why you get them. They're not. They're not doing Yeah, much. they're available.
0: <laughs> they were pro- probably playing some small audit- auditorium across the street or in somewhere in Pasadena. And they were like, you want 150 bucks? Come with me. Get in the van.
2: <laughs> yeah. What I'm really surprised at is that they didn't have members of the band sub in for the drums and the bass. Because these two gentlemen... Are, they just this film does a complete. You never know, Sam. No, yeah. exactly. I'm surprised that they even bothered to give them speaking lines because you have to pay them now at a SAG rate because they spoke. So you may yeah. as well have just let them be in the background and not do anything. Like I would have rather seen either Orgy step in or just do a Josie and the Pussycats thing and have it be the ladies and and let them let them rock.
1: Yeah, this scene though. I, I can't move on from it yet without saying that this scene shaped my childhood. This, this is why I asked for a red electric guitar for Christmas. This is why I started guitar lessons. I wanted to learn that solo so badly. And that first moment where you see her play it in the garage and you realize she's actually so good. That was like officially accepting Lindsay Lohan as my idol. And... I never learned the solo. I never got good at guitar, but I did have my red guitar. I got it for Christmas that year. And I I still am not over that song. And they're a little band. I I have it on more playlists than I would like to admit. <laughs> it's a really good song. It's so good. That and Ultimate, they're actually great.
2: Yeah, no, the music in this movie, it, it, sla- it still slaps. It holds. Yeah,
1: yeah it really does.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about the songs as we get a little deeper into uh, into the plot here. Did any of them realistically believe, I, I understand it's their opportunity of a lifetime, but did any of them realistically believe that they were going to get her out? Forget the fact that she's the maid of honor. Or what do they call her, the Maid of Whore. Yeah, of horror?
2: <laughs> oh, um, I like did, that though. I think I feel like that's like a name that Anna would have totally implemented on herself <laughs> yeah. in this situation. I buy that. But I buy it. Did completely
0: any of them realistically believe that she was going to get out of her mother's rehearsal dinner to go to this audition? The fact that they're all disappointed, I, I can understand being disappointed that you can't go to an audition. Like if they were going on like a family camping trip or something, it's her mother's rehearsal dinner. (laughs) Like I understand it. It's in service of the plot of the film, because to your point, Kelsey, this all happens in the course of 48 hours. So you have to like really heighten the drama. But did any of you realistically believe that you were going to get her out of her mother's rehearsal dinner or the fact that any of you would even ask for such a task? (laughs) That is,
2: that is one of the things that I bump on in this scene because at first, they give Anna a crap for having a legitimate conflict, but then the friends are like, well, aren't you the maid of honor? So which which side are you on here? They flip on a dime, and that's where I feel like the writing could have been a little bit better because they are basically being the voice to what the audience is thinking. But as her friends, as characters, we need to see them pick a side here. And they just should have stayed on the side of, but this is important for the band. This is once in a lifetime you have to be here. And I mean, I think it's worth noting, Wango Tango was like a huge deal. I mean, it still goes on. It's still a a concert. Like they're having one this year. I think either iHeart or Kiss FM is putting it, or iHeart probably bought Kiss FM. Kelsey, you're the you're the LA locals, so you would know better than we I'm, are. But I remember I no "Wango Tango" being like a huge deal back in the '90s. Yeah. Like, if you played "Wango Tango," like you were in. That's it. So I do like that they leaned into that for this film, even yeah. though her friends completely have their priorities backwards.
0: <laughs> but what it does do is it it sets up this argument at the Chinese restaurant, right? And the argument that... Or actually, no, I'm wrong. I'm jumping ahead.
2: Yes, because we do get that really great scene where Anna walks in the house and Tess is just sitting at the table like anything you want to talk about.
0: Yes, that argument, and then she removes the door. The door. Yeah. <sighs> which was a lot to accomplish in 10 minutes.
2: It Well, <laughs> they were outside talking about Wango Tango for quite a while. I go back and forth with this because... I, I think, you know, when you're watching this movie as a teen, you're like, oh my God, that's so harsh. And, and it is a little extreme because it's such a violation of privacy. But at the same time, like now I'm looking at it because I'm an old and I'm like, that's kind of brilliant parenting. <laughs> yeah.
1: I remember after this movie, that was always the threat. Never happened in my house, but that was always the threat.
0: <laughs> yeah. As a kid, it would seem far-fetched it seems far fetched, only that they were able to accomplish this as quickly as they as they did. But I can't say that if if we had a kid that acted up, that was giving us problems and going to detention multiple times a day, I can't say that I wouldn't take a door off. That door goes back on when you pay federal income taxes. That's my rule. <laughs> um, but but I think that the argument is just so well done, and and it's really um, it's it's a credit to both Lindsay Lowen and, and to Jamie Lee Curtis because. You could just as easily had written this off as, well, typical mom-daughter argument, right? Professional mom, angsty teen kid, seen it a dozen times. It's happened in every kind of movie like this. But the, the, the two of them are just so talented and they fed off of each other so well that it then carries over into the Chinese restaurant. And they're, the two of them just have so much passion in their arguments But they sell it so incredibly well.
2: It is very well done. The only thing that I wish they would have done is that when they're at the restaurant, uh, Anna Anna finally vocalizes. One of her issues is that Tess doesn't treat her like a daughter. She She treats her like a patient. I wish that would have come at the kitchen table. Because then it would have really built to the bigger moment when they're fighting in the restaurant. Like, then I'll buy more that you're having this blowout argument in the restaurant because you're just not going to see eye to eye ever until you switch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, also so surprising in the restaurant with Tess looking so calm at the kitchen table and then her like pulling Anna aside in the restaurant, but then fully yelling in the restaurant after all of that.
2: And I'm also surprised they didn't sort of lean into Tess just pulling rank like, you know, my rehearsal dinner's tomorrow. Yeah. Um. You know, can you just let me have these 48 hours? Let it be about me and my wedding. And, you know, she never she never really goes there. But that yeah. also may, you know, speak to more of uh, Kelsey's point earlier as far as, you know, Tess just being used to shouldering everything. And yeah. she's still not going to make it about herself even when it should be.
1: Yeah,
0: so true. So they get the fortune cookies, they open them up, they have no idea what's happening, they're the only ones that feel this earthquake, and I thought it was interesting that this took into effect the next morning, the body swap. I thought it would have maybe happened in that moment, especially at the end of the film where it's instantaneous, where they all feel the earthquake, they switch back, but I thought it was an interesting choice that they held it until the next morning.
2: I mean, I... think it's a better it's a stronger reveal that they're gonna wake up like this because if it happened instantaneously like I mean you could have had a very chaotic scene at the restaurant and that could have been really fun but I kind of like that they show it playing out while they're sleeping and now they're just left with this when they wake up the next day I also really love how this earthquake becomes a running bit with grandpa
1: yeah that was my favorite joke as a kid
0: (laughs) so to jump ahead then does it make sense then that they would have had the instantaneous swap back at the rehearsal dinner? Or would it have been better if they both go to sleep thinking, well, I'm going to have to marry Ryan and you're going to have to watch me do it. And instead they wake up the next morning to see that they've swapped back into place. Seeing as, seeing as it wasn't instantaneous the first time, does it make sense that it's instantaneous the second time?
2: Yeah, I hear you. Because that would have been really effective if they had to go to bed that night trusting that they learned the lesson and they were going to wake up and everything would be, you know, everything would be back to normal the next morning. Yeah. Um, but I think that that might have raised far too many questions as far as how is Anna as Tess going to go through with this, which we will delve into in momentarily because that, that was sort of one of the bigger questions that I posed um I don't know it, I, I agree with you that it should have been consistent like if it wasn't going to happen immediately the one time they should have done it the same way both times I'll agree with you there but I think as far as the reveal the next morning um I just think this is such a great scene like I love all of the point of view shots from yeah <laughs> uh you know like Tess looking down at Anna's body and this isn't mine and looking in the mirror. I I just love the way that they filmed this.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think back to that ending scene, having it happen instantaneously lets you hear Anna's point of view from both people. Like she's speaking as the mom, as Anna, and then she's speaking as herself, as Anna. And that dual perspective there is just so good and couldn't have happened if it didn't happen that way but I agree that inconsistency with both the earthquake being felt by everyone versus just the two of them and the instantaneous switch versus overnight was
2: confusing. I have a question. What do you think of them starting with Tess realizing that they've now switched bodies? Do you think it would have been more comedic if we had gotten this from Anna's point of view?
0: No, I think that starting it with Tess because we already know that Anna's emotional, that she's dramatic. I think that you needed to see the composed one, the put-together one, have have the, the panic attack. You needed to see her fall to pieces. You needed to see the person that's always been in control and always have the answers for other people not have the yeah. answers for herself.
1: Fair. Agreed.
0: But from the moment they wake up, it's great. I, I think the comedy is great. I think the two of them The two of them are incredible. I don't like comedically, yes, but I'm saying their talent. That you have Lindsay Lohan playing it like she's in her mid forties, and you have Jamie Lee Curtis playing it like she's fifteen. But they, but like they nail every inflection. They nail the body language. They knock this entire thing out of the park. They are so convincing, and I'm. This is the last time I'm going to say this. They are the both of them are so convincing in each other's place playing that role. It's unbelievable to me how good the two of them are.
2: I think Parent Trap was the stepping stone to a film like this because Lindsay Lowen has already proven that she can handle the dual role. And we gave her a lot of props last week for that. That there was a seamless transition with the accent when it was needed. And then when she had to slip with the accent, it was so good. So I, I think just given that track record, you knew that she was going to be great here. Um, there's such an interesting tell though, and this is so niche, um, but it's just something I notice when she's going into uh, Tess as Anna and and how Lindsay is portraying her body as a, you know, 40 plus year old woman, there's one point where she's in denial and she shakes her hand saying no. And I just immediately switched to Lindsay hosting SNL, the Disney character breakfast scene with Debbie Downer because she does that exact same thing. And I, oh I just like, it was just an immediate flash to that in my mind because it's the same exact move and it is one of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits of all time. It's brilliant.
1: I, I don't know how I missed that one. I don't think I've ever seen that. I'm going to have to go find that.
2: Oh my gosh, I'm going to send it to you. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's very funny on its own, but really it's about Jimmy Fallon and Horatio Sands breaking and just everybody breaking
0: because of Rachel yeah. Dratch.
2: Lindsay barely keeps it together. It's It's absolutely fantastic, but I will send that to you. Amazing.
0: So now they come to terms with the fact that they're going to have to at least for a little while play this off they're going to have to live in each other's bodies for a little while they can't tell anybody about it because as Tess as Anna points out they don't want to be put into a 72-hour hold in the psych ward <laughs> and they have to go through with this and you know obviously she's getting married the next day so drama 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 right um we get them off to go take care of everything they've got to take care of for the day. They're going to reconvene at lunch to go back to the Chinese restaurant to see how they can have themselves switched back. And now you have Tess as Anna at school. I like that this is where we started off.
2: Well, before before we get into that, what I really like that they did here is unlike Parent Trap where they spent a week or two weeks prepping each other so that there were no slips – this is where the comedy of errors is going to come from is because they didn't coach each other enough. It's... They had Yes. And and it's also still, that's the whole point of this curse or spell being put on them is because they weren't going to see eye to eye on anything. So they're still both equally focused on me, me, me. Um, I agree with you. I like that they started at school, but one of the... Things that I don't want to skip over because this is important is when they do agree to switch and and have to carry out each other's days. Um, Tess basically says, you know, you have to go and and see Evan. You have to do this appointment for me. And she says, you know, just you're you're not qualified to give advice, but just sit there and nod your head. And if you feel like you need to say something, um just ask how it makes them feel. And I feel like this is such a nineties version of how therapy was viewed. And this is really the only element that makes this film feel dated because it's, it's so dismissive of mental health and how important therapy can be. And, um, Even just not not just from the patient perspective, but what that that's how a therapist was viewed was that they were overpaid to just sit there and not do anything. And that's totally not the case. So I don't like that. It was, you know, reduced down to this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And the patients that it shows her see um, like the the lady who can't even speak because she's crying so much. And I mean, all of Evan's mannerisms are all just like caricatures of people who need therapy.
0: Well, I think it's difficult, you know, like, how do you do therapy as funny? And yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, the the therapy and mental health are looked at much differently now than they were, you know, in 2003, but I feel like it's very difficult to tackle that subject in a comedy, so it's like, I'm... It, it for a lot of people, it doesn't hold up, but I'm not sure how else you could do it.
2: Right. Because it would have been worse if Anna gave bad advice. Yeah. I think that would have been in poor taste.
1: I think they did a good job with the, the mom who's expressing concerns about her daughter and, um, talks about reading her diary and Anna as Tess just completely breaks Tess's character and goes into like teenage perspective of advice. Um, I thought that was a a great way to make the switch without showing anything too
2: unethical. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And the the funny thing is that bit of advice or that part of that conversation was probably more helpful to that woman than anything that Tess was going to tell her. Because totally. it's from the point yeah. of view
2: of where you need it. Yes. And to Kelsey's point, Anna didn't overstep then and and say something that was going to cause a bigger problem.
0: Yeah. But while this is going on, you have Tess as Anna at school, and you start to see where everything unraveled with Stacy, and that it's in fact Stacy's fault. And I wish that they would have explained this a little bit more. You could have had a line or two. Is it that you know was Stacy yeah, Stacy's mom. Uh I'm just uh, laughing at myself now. Was Stacy's mom and uh and and Tess friends because we all had that, right? Like the moms yeah. that tried to like force you to be friends with somebody else's kid that you couldn't stand. Like is that what this was? Is it that uh is it that Stacy became popular and preppy and Anna became greasy and punkish like the divide is never really explained, which is only necessary because they make such a big deal of saying, We were best friends in the fifth grade. What happened? And you never find out what happened.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of life, though, right? Like, you grow apart. But being that it does become such a focus of tests, yeah, I think you did kind of need to give more of a reason for it. Um, but what's interesting to me, though, is that, you know, to break this this curse, this spell, whatever you want to call it, they're supposed to learn to appreciate one another. And um, I feel like it starts off sort of, very one-sided because you see Anna legitimately helping her mother by agreeing to see the patients but the other end of it is that Tess is in Anna's body like sort of wreaking havoc on her life because she's still you know like we talked about this before with Stacy that she's just going to try and mend a fence and she's completely dismissing how Anna really feels and and she's going to cause bigger problems for Anna once they switch back, assuming they can switch back at this point, you know? Um, yeah. But I feel like what Tess is doing is having much bigger repercussions than what Anna has to deal with in during Tess's day.
1: Yeah. And I think it's still Tess's attitude that she can see the bigger picture than Anna can, and she can solve these problems and she can make everything better and see the good in people when in actuality, Anna's completely right about these people. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I, I like how she starts to, this is Tess as Anna. She starts to see the other side of life, right? Cause now at this point, she's seen that Harry is starting problems in the car. She sees that Stacy is starting problems with her. doesn't stop her from trying to mend the fence with Stacy later on. right? But you're right. Her repercussions. Cause then, you know, she's telling off Jake. She's telling off yes. the girls in the band. Yeah, It's not until she has the issue with Bates, where she gives, as she says, a college-level answer to the question about Hamlet, and he fails her just because. That's such an important scene, and I love how she tears him apart and calls him out that she's just taking it out on, Anna because he didn't go to Tess, he didn't go what to the prom with Tess in yeah, high school. For a, or a dance. Not I dance, don't even think it was, it was
2: prom. It was lower stakes than prom.
0: <laughs> but everything about this pays off. And this is where you start you start to see Tess come full circle. Not entirely because it would then it would just happen way too quick. But the wheels are in motion to get her to have that character arc. It's very important that they plant this here.
2: Yeah, because she's starting to realize, you know, she went into this like, oh, all I have to do is take your test. I'll probably get you a better grade. Easy peasy. And she's starting to see that Anna's problems are much deeper than the teen angst that she has written it off as. Um, On the other end of it, um, you know, and I'm, I'm saying like, oh. Well, Tess is causing more damage for Anna, but Anna does give her a full makeover the day before <laughs> or two days before her wedding. So you could make the argument that, yes, she is also sort of wreaking havoc on on her mother's life. But um, I, I love the makeover, even though, I mean, who doesn't love a good 2000s dressing room montage scene? It's choppy. Yes. We've seen it everywhere, but it works That's- here.
1: That's literally in my notes. That is the 2000s movie scene of this movie.
2: It truly is. And the, okay. the ear piercing. I love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that one's permanent.
0: And what I love is the reveal. When she goes to pick up Tess as Anna at school, and she's driving her car, Tess <laughs> flips out, and she has that great payoff line of where's your permit. Yeah. Because now she's had the good luck getting changed without a door. Now she's got a where's your permit. This, it It's great that Tess starts to see the other side of life. But then I think that they continue to hit it with the fast food once they get into the car.
2: The other thing that needs to be said, this is where Jamie Lee Curtis should have won her Oscar years ago. Her physical comedy of this sulky teenager is so brilliant because for Lindsay Lohan to have to carry herself as the 40-year-old in her body, you know, she's sitting up a little straighter. She's carrying herself with more poise. It's so much easier than this, like, poutiness and this you know hunched over surliness that jamie lee curtis is giving with anna in her body like even in the therapy scenes we sort of skimmed over this you know she's like sitting in the chair with her knees bent and like sitting on top of her feet it's so subtle but it's so brilliant and you really see it here to your
0: point with the with in the scene with the french fries her body
1: length is just perfect
0: yeah the whole thing is like so nuanced right yes like because Saturday Night Live, they do this all the time. They're all in their 20s, their 30s. Some of them, like Tim Meadows and Keenan, they kick around until they're in their 40s. But it's sketch comedy. They have them playing high school kids, right? So what do they do? They just put them in, like, preppy clothes and have them, like, slouch over in a chair. and, And we're just supposed to know, oh, they're 16 years old. We know that they're not, but it's a caricature. It's so easy to have fallen into that trap here. And she doesn't whatsoever.
2: Yeah, no, she's incredible. So I feel like just when you think they've sort of got everything under control, now everything is going to flip on its head again because Tess has to go take this parent-teacher conference And then there's the TV appearance. So I love that they let us catch our breath a little bit. And now everything is going to completely unravel in the afternoon, even though I still think Tess has way too much going on two days before her. wedding, a parent teacher. Like you don't (laughs) reschedule that really. Yeah, and her fiancé
1: schedules the interview for her the day before their wedding, and it's a surprise.
0: It doesn't tell her. Oh, by the way, you're going on yeah. <laughs> what is obviously a very uh, successful, popular television show.
2: I mean, I think it's great as far as raising the stakes in the film, but like, yeah, it, it, the her reality real of it, yeah, no.
0: I've I said it before, and I'll say it a thousand times. There is a certain level of suspending reality that you have to have when watching a movie. A mother and a daughter are not going to eat a fortune cookie and switch bodies. But we're going to suspend that reality because then otherwise we have no film. But yeah. there, there is an awful lot happening within 48 hours of this wedding. Like, you know, the food menu not being finalized yet. That food had to be ordered already because you're going to cook for all of these people. But we haven't finalized the menu yet there are certain things that have happened that they're a little tough to, it's a tough pill to swallow with a few of the things that I think that they're trying. And I understand they're trying to raise the stakes and they're trying to make it more funny. And you're trying to put these characters in more and more peril. But I wish that instead of getting maybe that added five minutes of screen time where she goes on this television show, where she humiliates her mother But it kind of helps her career, but we don't see what the effect of that is. We don't see did she sell more books? Are people calling her a quack? You know, like what is it? Like there's no there's no cause and effect for any of that. I wish that that five minutes would have been spent fleshing out the Stacy relationship, fleshing out you know just something else somewhere in there. We could have done a little bit more when that five minutes of screen time
2: or. One of the other things, and I had sort of alluded to it before, I feel like they didn't nearly lean into the idea of this 15, 16-year-old is not only going to have to be put on display playing her mother at her wedding, but like they didn't lean into her, her mindset enough of like, what if she actually has to go through with it? She's a teenager, And she's about to get married. I mean, like they do lean into the comedy of um, Anna as Tess having to avoid kissing Ryan. But they really didn't lean into the awkwardness of it all. And I mean, maybe that is Disney Disney Disney-fying it. But I feel like this is where it would have been interesting, to your point, if they just had to put faith in each other enough where they were going to go to bed that night and hope that everything was set right the next day. If, you know, when you were posing the question about, is it, um what what if they hadn't done the immediate switch? I think that if they were to have played it the same way they did in the first switch, that would have needed to be explored a little bit more of what is she going to do? Like, she's 15. She's too young to be getting married. Th- there are all sorts of questions that arise with this and I feel like I would have liked to see that more than, than Jamie Lee Curtis crowd surfing as fun as it is.
1: Yeah. And I think the fact that Tess and Anna's body doesn't bring this up until at the rehearsal dinner, when it's just about time for toast that they they might have to postpone the wedding because she can't let her daughter pretend to be hurt and get married. And the fact that that doesn't come up until that late perhaps is a missed opportunity
2: I agree. And I think that at this point, because they've already spent like almost a full day as each other, they already they are starting to understand each other a little bit more. This would have been a good place to insert something like that and let it breathe a little bit that there are bigger consequences at play here if they don't set it right. And instead, you know, they're still leaning into... Like, yes, they are playing it for comedy, but like there are bigger, bigger issues that they could have addressed here. Um, Because then after the TV appearance, we get Chad Michael Murray. Exactly. (laughs) And more awkwardness as far as them being switched and, and having to deal with the romance end of it because now you've got a 40 year old with a 16 17 year old like th- yeah. this is just very very awkward Um, I mean what I really do like though is before before the coffee house um, we did get the beat of Jake with Anna where he helps her finish the test so yeah. I like that Tess now has an understanding of what Anna really does see in him But now you give Anna that moment herself to spend time with him, but she's still in her mom's body and the whole thing just comes off. It's so awkward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And him actually chasing her later, like coming by the house and singing to her. It's so cringy, but also was such a good scene.
0: (laughs) It's the whole thing. Yeah. It's awkward when he's now pursuing the mom and, I think that it was well done where, well, they do, well, it's awkward, but they plant it very subtly where um, she says, he says to her, your mom's right, you're too young for me because she writes I'm stupid on Stacy's Scantron sheet, right? So like he goes above and beyond to do the right thing to help her out. She takes it one step too far. It's funny that the adult shows the immaturity. And that's what he sees. But yeah, it's, it's totally awkward. And then you get the, you get the say anything scene when he shows up later at the house. Right. And he's singing, hit me baby one more time. Um, I'm glad that he wasn't holding a stereo though, because then it would have just (laughs) been a straight ripoff of say anything because so many movies have done this after say anything. And it just, it comes off as so cheap every time that they do it. Um, But I I have to say, having been a 17-year-old guy when this movie came out, and now watching this as somebody that's closer to AARP than they are to 17, (laughs) I've never... There have been certain things I've understood growing up when it came to female obsession with a certain leading man. I understood it with Mario Lopez. I understood it with Tom Cruise. I understood it with Zac Efron. I understand Harry Styles. I never understood what anybody saw in Chad Michael Murray. I'm sorry. The Coreys I understood there. I just, I never could understand the Chad Michael Murray thing. CMM, it, I could never get on board.
1: It is the combo of things he was in. This and Cinderella story were like the magic that made girls like me who were in second grade at this time have a crush on him, which looking back, I was eight years old and he was probably in his 20s in this, um, which is cringy in the same way that he's going after Tess. Um, But it was the combo of stories and the female leads like Lindsay Lohan and Hilary Duff with him were what made it special.
2: That caused a lot of drama Well, it it poured some fuel on the fire that was already burning over Aaron Carter. Yeah, because Sean, I don't know if you know this. (laughs) (laughs) So Hillary Duff and Lindsay Lohan both used to date Aaron Carter at different. Well, maybe different times. I don't know if there was any cheating going on, but there was a lot of beef that was going down over Aaron Carter. And then Chad Michael Murray made it worse because he was with Hillary Duff in Cinderella Story and Lindsay Lohan in this. Even though they weren't really dating, but there there was a lot of a lot of beef going on between Lindsay and Hillary. I, I just I, thought you, I just thought you would want to know that, so you, you didn't you can get know. caught up. Being that you didn't understand the Chad Michael Murray obsession, I just thought that you would like to know that piece of information.
0: It's actually made it worse. <laughs> um, also,
1: this was this was the peak of the internet just starting to have like celebrity gossip. And I feel like I was at the peak age to be like dipping my toes into being online. And it was all just like, just this certain moment in time was magic.
2: (laughs) Forgive me, Kelsey, but I missed the Chad Michael Murray boat. I was a little bit too old at that point. Yeah, no. no, I, I didn't watch one tree Hill. I, yeah okay I, I didn't just completely eluded me
1: it was literally just this and Cinderella story it was probably more so Cinderella story that was like my favorite movie
2: we'll have to have you back on for that one that's like the yeah. one iteration of Cinderella that we've not done yet is the John oh Michael that's Murray a good Cinderella one it's
1: not Disney though oh
2: it's not I thought it I was
1: so. I don't think so let me let me google it
2: you you might get out of reviewing that one on the show Sean <laughs> lucky you <laughs> let's
1: see Side note on Lindsay Lohan on this: so Did you know this was her first
2: on-screen kiss? I I did learn that, yes. And Jamie Lee Curtis coached her through it. Aww. They yeah, they did seem to have a good off-screen relationship. I could, I yeah, could see her helping her out. Back to the the movie at hand. I like that they do call it out when um, Tess as Anna tells Anna. He definitely likes you for your mind. And that is the whole point of this is that he got to know Anna. She was more comfortable speaking to him through her mother's body than she was in her own. So they did really get to know each other. They did form that connection. So for that much, it's all worth it because otherwise how, how are they going to get together at the end of this movie? They're not, it's never going to work, but I feel like there were maybe other ways that they could have gone about it other than the coffee because it is it feels like a date if it had just been an interaction where he gave her the coffee and they had a little bit of banter about some bands and then she left fine but the riding home on the motorcycle him singing baby one more time like it's just too much they they leaned way too hard into that
0: yeah agreed my thing is that now he he shows up at the rehearsal dinner. Why is he at the rehearsal dinner? Well,
2: that's the other... Yeah, he just... He, he thinks keeps, he's going to stop the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he keeps finding them and, and showing up in places that he's not invited yeah. to. It is very, very awkward. Yeah, same with House of Blues. He's there too.
0: Yeah, I mean, he just shows up in places. So let's talk about the rehearsal dinner because not only is he there, but... You have Anna's bandmates that are there, and some suited security duo <laughs> happened to capture them in their duct tape and their ropes. And while it is completely far-fetched that you would have security of at that length, uh, working an engagement party, it's important that, um, that Ryan have this moment where he lets them go and then goes so far as to say, like, I don't know if we can get married because you obviously have put an idea in their head about how I feel about them. And they're never going to accept me because we've seen earlier at, at the house of Chang that he tells, he tells Anna exactly where the door is. This is on top of he's letting Harry get away with eating ice cream before dinner. Like he's trying so hard and you don't know if it's disingenuous or not. So it's very important that he has this moment here. Agreed.
2: Yeah, I think the um, the band kidnapping Anna is going a bit too far. But, like, again, you need to get her over to the House of Blues. Um, you know, we knew at this point they were never going to listen and not respect that she had a huge conflict. Um, I also don't know what audition is going to be 20 minutes where you're going to have time to get over there, set up your equipment, <laughs> yeah. warm up and and then be actually able to perform. But um, what I do appreciate is that they did shoot up the block from House of Blues. Like there is that one speed ramp over between where they're having this the tower that they have the engagement party yeah. in and the House of Blues and they are in close proximity to each other. So kudos to production on that. Um but yeah, I think um, this scene is more important for Ryan than it is anything else. More important than the band, um, just for him to to say, like, I, I know I'm marrying your whole family, and I want them to come to like me on their own terms. That's it's a great character moment for him.
0: Agreed. Let's talk about the scene at the House of Blues. It's it was predictable, but it didn't make it any less fun, right? Like, you know that obviously Tess has no idea what she's doing, so she's going to have to go up there and sort of just mimic playing a guitar. You know that Anna is going to be off stage playing. There's no other way for them to pull this off, right? But it goes back to a conversation we had earlier about how both Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan did such an outstanding job learning how to play these instruments, so that they could look so convincing um, that I think the scene is actually well done, in spite of the fact that Chad Michael Murray is now there, <laughs> Mark Harmon is now Mark Harmon has left his own party, and now Mark Harmon's there too, uh, and now we're gonna go back to the engagement party after. Um, but with that said, it's still it's still a a very fun moment in the film.
2: It really is. It's a hugely important scene because you know, we've seen them manage to get by as each other the entire day, but you really had to force something that was going to raise the stakes. And even the TV appearance was not enough. It's not as big a moment. Um, and I think, you know, that's what this film has sort of been building to the whole time is to Kelsey's point earlier is, you know, she saw Lindsay Lowen in, in her garage band and it was inspiring to her. And I feel like We needed to deliver on that. Like for the girls that are looking up to Lindsay in this film, like you need to give her this moment. Um, So I love that the two characters are really forced to show up for each other because it's not just um, about this big audition and Tess as Anna having to to be there for her daughter – It's also about Anna not letting her mother look stupid because she's she's like really sweating this out now. Um, So I just love the moment how everything comes to a head, how they are there to support each other. Um, And I think this is just another brilliant performance from both of them, because now Jamie Lee Curtis gets to let loose finally and, and be the rock star and play that part. Albeit backstage, but for me, this is where Lindsay shines the most in this movie because once she knows that her, that Anna is really covering for her and she's actually playing and all she has to do is mimic, she starts having fun, but she doesn't start rocking out. She's still rocking out, like as a 40-year-old woman would think to do. And she's like mom dancing her way through this, <laughs> this shredding guitar solo. But it's it's just so great. It's awesome.
1: I was going to say the same, her acting in this scene is so good. It's so bad on purpose, yes. making it so good. And I had texted you about this, like, how how did the crowd, how did they make this believable that she's so clearly not playing and the crowd is going wild believing that that solo is coming out of her at that moment? And just her ability to switch Switch characters from how she plays in the beginning of the movie to her playing this solo um, or fake playing this solo now is just so good and really speaks to Lindsay's talent on switching between characters moment to moment.
2: It's so impressive. I I also like how they deliver on... um like right before when Anna's trying to get Tess to go back on stage and she's like, you know, you, you saw the stones back in the day, right? Like go go yeah. and do what they would do. And Lindsay and has like, no, to interpret that. Weird. Yeah, exactly. Um and Lindsay's interpreting that of what what she would think that her mother was dancing like back in the day. It's it's just yeah. so good. It's awesome.
0: And this is where you get them doing a full-fledged version of Take Me Away. Yes. yes. And, you know, the song definitely... I think the song definitely still holds up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's catchy. It's a bop. It's a believable girl band song. Girl band, because, you know, the drummer and the bass player... <laughs> the the yeah. drummer gets one, <laughs> just there. one little moment to ask uh, Anna what she's doing in the mm-hmm. moment because she's not playing and she's about to blow it, but... Again, no other speaking lines. These two are so underdeveloped, and it's not fair. And I, I kind of wish that they had just leaned into the girl power of it all, and and just made it the three of them instead of a five piece band. But that that is like really my one critique. Otherwise, the song's a bop, and the scene is amazing. And and somehow they managed to one up it because when they go back to the her- the rehearsal dinner, this is probably I mean House of Blues is so great but this is probably the best scene in the movie as far as the emotion um, and now you have Anna as Tess delivering this speech when when Tess has asked her just you know tell him to call it off we can't go through with this we're not going to switch back um, so I love that the way Tess just came through for Anna now Anna's really coming through for her in her own way and she is coming to terms with Ryan on her own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and the speech is so powerful. I The, the entire scene is so well done. Um, and both actresses absolutely nail it. They both nail the emotion. Lindsay Lohan especially, actually. Between the two, I actually thought Lindsay Lohan... It's nothing against Jamie Lee Curtis, but the, Lindsay Lohan really blew me away with just her facial expressions as she's watching all of this unfold.
2: Right, because she's still Tess in Anna's body and she's about to flush her relationship down the tubes. So, you know, she's having her heart broken and and Lindsay's got to portray that.
0: So everything goes back to normal. Everybody feels the earthquake and they are immediately swapped back into place. Grandpa
2: is vindicated.
0: Grandpa's vindicated (laughs) because the earthquake is real. And we are are immediately... uh, sent straight to the wedding. Which is fine. Why is Jake <laughs> at this that. wedding? Why? How does
1: Jake know where the wedding is? Exactly. Why is he there? Exactly. For
0: all intents and purposes, he has really only known Anna for about a day and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jake's got some
2: stalker tendencies. Jake's a little clingy. <laughs> um, but I mean, you need to deliver on that. Like, of all the things that have happened and and transpired between them over the past 48 hours do we really care about the book sales and if Anna helped Tess in that way no not really but Tess has done a lot we and that's the other thing this is the one element that doesn't have closure right like we've seen her get closure with Stacy um because now Tess has seen how horrible Stacy really is she gets her comeuppance there um Yes, she does tell Mr. Bates off, although, like I said earlier, I feel like that could have gotten one more stinger where Anna gets her moment with him as Anna, not Tess as Anna. Like, yes, we've seen her we've seen Tess as Anna put him in his place, but I really feel like that's something that truly affects Anna's life. And I feel like she should have had her moment to, you know, just show show how she's moving forward and and that there's a little bit more resolution there. But this is sort of the only outlier because Tess is obviously getting married. She's good. We know that things are going to progress as they're supposed to, but everything else Tess has done as Anna has been resolved, but Jake. So you, you do need this, but a throwaway line from the band may have helped. Like we told him we were playing. He wanted to see you play again. just, just Something other yeah. than I donned a suit and sh- found your mother's wedding and showed up. <laughs> because otherwise, there is a moment of when you just see him there like, is he still going to try and go for Tess? Yeah. Or who he so thinks true. is Tess in this point? There, there's still a little cringe at the end. They get you one more time. And when he says the
1: yesterday was freaky line, I think that's the cringiest moment of the whole movie that's my pet peeve when movies bring their title into lines and you know, they had to do it in this early two thousands movie, but, um, that in scene with him also with the song that they play as he's walking into the wedding, it's just so trophy.
2: It's, it's a tad too self-aware. Yeah. But they do pay off with the ending song, the ultimate like this is a moment yeah it's great i i love everything about this scene like um i like that Lindsay's singing lead now i love her outfit i love that she's kicked her shoe maybe that's how her feet got so dirty she kicked her heels (laughs) off so she could play guitar (laughs) um but no it's it's great and she's she's very believable singing yeah i mean she she sang it for real right
0: yeah that was her like
1: Her um, standalone album came out shortly after this, right?
2: I believe so. I think this is sort of what launched her into it. I mean, I know she's legitimately singing, but I just meant, like, I believe her, like, as the lead in this girl band. Yeah, yeah. Or band with two no-name characters.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a good song. It's a good moment for her. Uh, She sings it well. And, uh, you know, I... I don't always love when we have to have, you know, a musical number and we're going to sing and dance over the end credits. I didn't care for it in Aladdin. I hated it in Jersey Boys. There is a certain Maybe amount of cheese it. that I'm willing to put on anything, and then there's sometimes too much. Um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that um, it, it's a very good song. I, I would have, yeah. I, like, I personally would have rather them just... Well, I mean that's the thing, right? Like her, her mother in theory has picked a has picked a wedding song, right? So they can't make this the wedding song. But everything's gone to hell in a handbasket so far. So like, why not just make this the wedding song?
1: Was their band always booked to play at the wedding? Or... I
0: don't, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I get the feeling that they weren't.
2: I feel like that would have come up though because. Anna always says to Tess, you don't support the band. And Tess is like, what are you talking about? You do garage, you know, you do practice in our garage. And and I paid for lessons and all that. That's actually a big point of contention with the two of them. So I feel yeah. like if they had planned on being the wedding band, she would have thrown that in Anna's face earlier. But I think we also yeah. I'm realizing it now. We did need this moment for Anna because we saw her practice in the garage, but she didn't get to have her moment with the band because that was Tess. So I think you kind of needed to give her this one so we could see it all come full circle. Maybe this was practice for Wango Tango. I don't know. When, when's <laughs> Wango Tango? We don't even know when that is. The way this film plays everything so close together, it might have been the next day and this was the only time they had to rehearse. So they couldn't let Anna out of rehearsal for her mother's wedding. Cause that also tracks with this band. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Are we ready to talk about our cast?
2: I think so. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's start with Lindsay Lohan uh, playing Anna. I, I said last week that after seeing her in parent trap, it got me so frustrated on her behalf as to what her parents did to her. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, you can go back and listen to last week's episode, the radio station that Jackie and I met working at. Her father used to call in and spill the tea on his own kid so that he could become famous. Um, It it makes me even more angry after watching this because to me, she went from being like the cute child actress to actually being like a very polished, very talented actress adult actress here in only what yeah. 5 years. So it it just pisses me off to no end to see that her parents really did hang her out to dry so that they could come up off of her and they could become their own media personalities.
2: Um yeah, I mean I it, it's easy to see how she handled this material so well coming from the parent trap because we've seen her nail the dual role already. And I feel like this just takes it one step further because now she doesn't have to play opposite herself and have like full control over what she's doing. She really had to embody Jamie Lee Curtis. um, And I think that she nailed that. And I love the progression here because I feel like in this more coming of age film, you can see the jump even to Mean Girls, because you see how she's handling um, the material as far as carrying a high school movie. Um, there was, I believe, one more film in between Parent Trap was, and this Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. I think that was before this, yeah, I want to say.
1: I'm pretty sure that was 2002, I think. Um, that was my other favorite movie. So, this I'm, was definitely like the role into Lindsay's,
2: like, Huge fame, exactly. Uh, no, I like Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. I mean, that's more. I know you liked this, but like that one, I don't know that you're gonna. That was more of its <laughs> time for a certain demographic. I don't know that I'll get yeah. you into the, to that one. But as far as Lindsay's progression, like you can just see the talent grow and grow and grow, and it's just such a shame what ended up happening. Um, because I would have liked to see it fully explored. I would have loved to see her do more comedy. Um, but with all that being said, I was a fan, I still am. I'm glad that she's on the mend and and I think we can officially say that Monoreal Radio stands Lindsay Lohan for, for whatever she does in the future.
0: Agreed. We did we did make sure to watch that Netflix Christmas film she did last year.
2: I'm saying we support.
0: All right, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis plays Tess. And do you know Jamie Lee Curtis was not the first or the second choice for this role?
2: That I didn't know.
0: They wanted Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster didn't want to do it. That makes sense. They had actually cast Annette Bening, who dropped out right before filming. They got Jamie Lee Curtis last minute. Wow. I saw something
1: about her, her getting cast like, I think three days before it started or something like that. Um, I didn't know that that was because they had cast other people before
2: though. That's really wild because their chemistry is so great. Like, I can't imagine that this wouldn't have been, you know, that they wouldn't have been reading opposite each other the whole time. Because that's the thing. Like when you, when you kind of start narrowing down your casting choices, you get it down to like your top five, top three, And then you start reading for chemistry. You start really officially choosing once you see them read opposite each other. So I can't imagine that they wouldn't have seen the two of them together and just been like, no, this is it from the jump.
0: Yeah, it's and actually if the more you think about it, uh, the more credit you have to give both of them that they were able to so seamlessly pull this off because you're right. Their chemistry is so good that you would have assumed that they would have been together for weeks prior to the start of filming. Because they only took two and a half months to shoot this movie. They shot it kind of fast.
2: I honestly, and and that's interesting too, because they weren't um, filming on Lindsay's summer break. She was, you know, yeah, to her credit even more. She was still being tutored on set, she was still in school. Um, But to me, this is the film, and no disrespect to everything, everywhere, all at once. It's an amazing movie. This is the role that should have got Jamie Lee Curtis her Oscar. I just think that she's so brilliant in it. She's so good.
0: Yeah, I actually think that Jamie Lee Curtis was better in this. And, and it's not that she was bad in, you know, everything everywhere or anything everywhere.
2: Everything everywhere all at once.
0: Yeah. she She's better in this. I honestly believe that she's better in this.
2: I feel like there was more for her to do.
1: I haven't seen a lot of her later films, but I agree. I think she's just so, so good in this. And I remember... There was some bonus feature on the DVD of this that I watched and it was them like behind the scenes. And you can just see Jamie and Lindsay's rapport off camera so well. And you can really tell that Jamie like coached her through so much. And so it's not surprising that they played each other's characters so well since they were friends on set too. But I just think she's so good in this. And I love her in Christmas with the Cranks too. I know that's, not a super well-loved movie by a lot of people who have good taste in movies um but I think this is her best role of the films I've seen her in
2: I love Christmas with the with the Christ okay thank you yeah no it's that yeah it's not one of like my Christmas staples but I do enjoy it
1: it's so good I I have Honestly, terrible taste in movies. Usually, Rotten Tomatoes rates my favorites around 30%, but (laughs) I was surprised to see this one is actually higher ranked, but I know Christmas with the Cranks is down there.
0: I love Tim Allen. So that movie movie is always ranked kind of high on my list as well. Uh, Let's talk about Mark Harmon playing Ryan. Mark Harmon was a mega star when this film came out because he was on NCIS. Like, everybody knew him from NCIS.
2: He's still on NCIS. He has been, since this (laughs) film came out, on NCIS.
0: And how many of its offshoots. But he's great. You know, because you see him, what I like about it is, you're kind of used to seeing him play a certain kind of character on NCIS. So to see him in this role, and to see him softened, but he pulls it off so well, I thought that he was really well cast.
2: I also think that a character like this is normally very one-dimensional. I don't think that they're written as deep as Ryan is in this film. Like, I I love that they give him his moment where, you know, they did sort of have that late 90s, early 2000s power couple dynamic of, like, he knows that Tess is a workaholic um, but he's also respectful of her having been a single mother because she was widowed. Um, So he, he does respect her career. He lets her do whatever she needs to do. He's willing to give her a ride when she can't get to work. You know, he is very, very supportive. And I think that you could have just left him in that space and not developed the character. But I love that he comes full circle. I love the moment um, at the rehearsal dinner where, you know, he says, don't, don't, don't paint me into this role, because otherwise this is not going to work. Um, and I love where he lands with Anna at the end.
0: Ryan Malgarini plays Harry Coleman, her younger brother. And I thought that he was fine. Um, I, I feel like he could have been any little brother. Um, but I, I think that he has that really wonderful moment when Tess... Where Anna, as Tess goes to the parent-teacher conference, and he, you know, she sees that he wrote this essay about why my sister is the best. Um, it's a nice moment. I just wish that he would have explained a little more why he doesn't want to admit to her that she's cool, so he'd rather fight with her and live with this secret.
2: I think it's about the time that they spend together and less about him looking up to her or not it's just how how they choose to spend their time um and how they are able to relate to each other but I think this really speaks to the writing because again this could have been like a very much a trope of a younger brother character where it never got much further than the you know physically picking at each other all the time and him reading her diary and sneaking into her room I love that they took it one step further and this is where as unrealistic as it is to schedule a parent-teacher conference the day before <laughs> your wedding, uh, I think it really works in this case because you do get that moment of understanding with him. And I don't know, it, it might just be me, but growing up watching this, I always thought that he sort of knew what had happened. And that's why he put up with Anna in Tess's body kicking him in the butt or, or, you know, retaliating or never questioning why his mother is turning on him like this. I always kind of got the impression that somewhere deep down, he might have known.
1: I could see that. I think I never read it explicitly as that, but I I saw him being so comfortable with his dynamic with Anna that he wasn't, he felt at home with that dynamic. So he wasn't like traumatized by his mom. <laughs>
0: Harold Gould plays Alan, their grandfather, Tess's father. He's hysterical. He really is.
2: I wish he had gotten more screen time and more to do than just run from Earth. (laughs) 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 Like when he runs out of the house, like where did he go? I would have liked (laughs) to see Ryan chasing him down and getting him back. Like just just a little bit more. But otherwise, it was very funny. Yeah, he's great.
0: And Chad Michael Murray plays Jake. Let Kelsey go first on this. You go ahead. (laughs) You go ahead.
1: I mean, like I said, this was my first crush on a celebrity, I think. Um, I can't say he's super talented. I can't really say what I saw in him back then. Um, But at that time, I thought he was incredible. Nowadays, I think he's, any placeholder of young male actor that could have played this role. Um, I don't think there's anything super special about him, but I loved, loved his character.
2: I, I mean, I think Chad Michael Murray did a good job, but I feel like he kind of got the short end of the stick because they made this character a joke, like with just random showing up. And see, here's the thing, like Anna's so cool and she's proven that you know that that's sort of been the whole thing is she's always been worried am i cool enough for him and yeah. she looks up to him and his taste in music and he's got this motorcycle and you know this whole image so when anna finally wins him over she's the cool one and and he sort of has to take the back seat and you know he's the butt of the joke so i kind of wish that they hadn't let it fall apart so much so that we see what Anna sees in him and why she's so nervous yeah. about actually being able to get him back and and why she wants to kiss him at the end of this movie when he's just showing up <laughs> at her mother's <laughs> wedding. So I kind of wish they hadn't have written him off.
1: I had questions. I remember vaguely having these questions as a kid, but watching it back, I feel like the age difference is very ambiguous. Like, why why does he work in detention? I don't remember there being, like, work-study jobs in high school. And he's also working at the coffee shop. How old do you have to be to have a motorcycle license? I don't think you can get that at 16. So the age difference, I just, it feels bigger than 15
2: to 16. That's also a really good point, too, that they don't explore is why he has two jobs like it serves yeah. so that Tess sees that he's not this screw up who ends up in detention Um and it helps win over her approval but yeah. we don't get to again like that's something that we could have been clued in as the audience as to why Anna likes and respects him so much yeah But instead, it's baby one more time outside of the window. Um, (laughs) There's two more characters I want to mention before we move on. Um, It is the ladies in the band, which, again, I will die on the hill of this should have been an all-girl band. Uh, Haley Hudson and Christina Vidal. Um, Again, I'm going to get very niche here. I remember Christina Vidal from a Nickelodeon show called Taina, right? Did you watch Taina? (laughs) Yes. I recognized her and immediately in this. She was Sean she was for context. A too. Yes, she was. You're right. Let me figure it out for context. Sean, she was like everything that I dislike about Moana before Moana was a thing. Like just that overly confident, precocious. I can do this, but I did still like the show. So I was happy to see her in this. She's really singing. She's really performing. She's a fantastic performer. Um, and I I thought collectively these girls sold it with no help from the boys.
0: Yeah, I was agreed. I was a Nickelodeon kid. I have never heard of Tyena. I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: It was <laughs> like very much in the vein of fame. Um, like kid from Queens wanting to go to a uh non-traditional, like a more performance high school and and make it big. Um and I don't remember much else from that th- other than that. But um, I remember her because she's great. Yeah. She was also in Brink. That's which one it was. That's one that we have to do. That was Eric Von Denton, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's like a DCOM classic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We'll get there eventually. We have a few. Teenage drama queen, which I, oh, you can come yeah. back. You'll you'll come back and talk <laughs> about that one with yeah, us. I'll
1: just do all the Lindsay Lohan and Hillary Duff movies.
2: You are more than welcome to come back anytime <laughs> that there is an LL movie review on Montreal Radio. That was not a decom yeah. though. Con- confessions of a, a Teenage, no, And that was like no. a theatrical. Re- that actually, I remember a lot of promo for that. I saw that in
1: theaters. I distinctly remember that was like during the Heelys shoes era, and it was me and a group of girlfriends all wearing our Heelys to the theater and like skating
2: in to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to come back for that one. <laughs>
0: Final thoughts on Freaky Friday. We will let Kelsey, our guest, go first.
1: I mean, I just think it really holds up. I was actually surprised re-watching it. I expected it to be cringy like lots of the other movies I've rewatched, especially Dcoms. And I was surprised that there were only a few things that I don't think they would put on put in it if they did it again. Um, and I mean the fact that they're having talks of potentially making it a second, um, with Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan, I think it shows how beloved it is. Um, and I also think it was fun rewatching it now that I've lived in Southern California as an adult for a year. I recognized so many places where it was filmed and it was, it was really fun seeing that.
0: So having never seen this movie before, prior to, uh, recording this show, I had a very um, I had a very certain idea of what I thought that this film was going to be.
2: I honestly texted Kelsey and I was when we started talking about this I was like you and I are going to have to hold down the fort and defend this movie because yeah. I truly thought you were going to hate it.
0: So did I. I thought <laughs> I thought going in I thought going in this is going to be one of those uh very stereotypical early 90s Uh, bad habit lingering from the late uh, sorry early 2000s bad habits lingering from the late 90s uh, kind of films and in many ways it is that but not to the point where the film is um, ruined I I think that you have certain characters that are archetypes for um, for the sake of uh, parody I think you have archetype characters because that's just what was being written when this film came out. But I think that what saves the movie is, I think it, I think it's legitimately funny. I think that you have a very good cast um, yeah. that does everything in their power to carry the film. I think that your two leading ladies carry the film incredibly well. Uh, you know, Chad Michael Murray to the point you made earlier, I think he did the best that he could with a character that is frustrating because he shouldn't be dumbed down. They build him up as being the, you can't judge a book by its cover. It's supposed to be this big moment for Tess. And he goes and helps her with the test. And then he says, you know what? You're immature and you're right. You're too you're too young for me. And he leaves her. And then he's this mixed bag of a bumbling fool. That is a total... Like, he's supposed to be kind of stoic is how they're making him out to be. And now he's basically tripping over himself five minutes later, showing up in places that he shouldn't be in. So, like, that, that to me is a miss. But so much of this movie hits. So much of this movie is legitimately very funny, but it's the performances that sell it. Um, I think that it's actually a really good movie. I think that the movie does hold up. Um, I would not have enjoyed this as a 17 year old. Um, I think that I think that I, I enjoy it now. Because I'm watching it as an adult and I appreciate the performances. Uh, Yeah, I I think that it it certainly does hold up. Do we need a? They're talking about doing a remake for Disney Plus, or I think they they did it. They did remake it again. I think for the Disney Channel. Yeah, in
1: 2018. I have no idea about that one.
0: Yeah, so I'm interested to go and watch that, and I'm sure it's. That is probably going to be the train wreck that I thought this was going to be. Yeah. Um, Do we need a sequel? Eh. You know, if maybe they do it, maybe they don't. Um, it, it would certainly be interesting to see both of them come back for it. But all in all, I did enjoy the film quite a bit.
2: That is way more than I was expecting to get from you coming out <laughs> on the other side of I this. I was
1: prepared to be roasted.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really thought we were going to have to do battle and I didn't want to like text you after the first time he saw it and like <laughs> prep you for his reaction but I was like oh okay that that wasn't that bad. For me though final thoughts I'm going to keep it short and sweet because I agree with what both of you said I didn't grow up on this movie quite the same way that Kelsey did. I remember watching it and enjoying it as a teenager but I'm sitting here now going like why have I not rewatched this more because it is so much fun to go back to um, I think that Other than a very dated notion of what therapy is, um, it does very much hold up um, and it's still relatable today. But I think what really puts it over the top is what you said is the performances. And for that much, as much as I don't support sequels and remakes, I don't hate that we're going to get to see these two in these roles again. Um, I hope that if they are going to do a sequel, I mean, I go back and forth. Not if they're going to, s- to do a sequel. They are going to because they've both committed at this point. Um, I don't want to see a complete retread. I don't know if I want to see Tess and Anna completely switch places again. But what I'm hoping for is that they don't make Anna a parent now switch with her daughter. And then Jamie Lee yeah. Curtis is just going to get some, girl- <sighs> yeah, like quick cameo role like I I still want to see both of them have as much time as they did um but that's going to be a challenge without doing a complete retread but um,
1: yeah I think my best case scenario for I guess a not great sequel is like Hocus Pocus 3 I liked it because it was so nostalgic but I don't feel like it actually was that great of a story um And I think that's my hope for this one. I would love to be surprised, pleasantly surprised, but I think the potential for that is low. Um, But just seeing them again, especially seeing Lindsay Lohan after that rough decade in the middle where uh, we didn't get
2: anything from her for good reason. um,
1: I think it'd be fun just to see them bantering again.
2: Yeah, and I mean, her Hallmark movie was fine by Hallmark standards, but like, this is the redemption arc. I I think like this is really what's going to put her back on the top. Yeah.
0: Well, we want to know what you have to say about Freaky Friday. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at monoreal radio, or you can email us monoreal radio at gmail.com. Thank you, Kelsey, so much for joining us uh, for this episode of monoreal radio. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and plug your social media, your website and where, our listeners can find your fantastic product. Well, thank not you. just
2: product, she's got so much going on. Kelsey has formed a whole community. And <laughs> and I just love being a part of it. So thank you for coming on. But yes, tell everyone where to find you. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Um, you can find me on both Instagram and TikTok at Lost Weekend Co. Um, and my website is lossweekendco.com. Um It's not planner season yet. I'm working on next year's planners. But in the meantime, you can find me on there. And Jackie and I host some Peloton community rides together doing all the Disney rides. And I host um, monthly community Zoom sessions working on updating our planners and making sure we're on track um, and having designated time to work on our goals and connect with other Disney women. So you can find me on there for community community events right now and eventually
2: products again in the fall
0: all right thank you again for joining us news of the week is coming up but first a quick break
2: if you're thinking of taking a disney trip this year whether it's walt disney world in florida disneyland in california a disney cruise or olani in hawaii get in touch with me for a free quote i would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at magicalvacationplanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Karma and Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor. And I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at karmaandkismetdesigns.com.
0: As always, listeners of the show, get a 10% discount with the code monorail 10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's art and all of her services. It is online at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. Lots of news this week. A lot of news this week, starting with Josh Gad. Josh Gad put out on social media a graphic for Shrunk, or what we thought may have been an official graphic for Shrunk. As it turns out, it's not an official graphic for Shrunk, and I'm not all that surprised that Josh Gad would do that. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. Josh Gad is definitely—I have a great respect for him for this reason. He's very assertive. He yes. like he's very he's very polished. He's very polite, but he's very assertive um, in all of the ways that you want somebody who has, for the last few years, been a part of putting the company on his back. When you think about what Olaf has meant and what shrunk. Is or will mean when it eventually gets made, or but,
2: even just being Lefou. I mean, yeah. you know, there's the movie, and they were doing a guest on and Lefou series supposedly before the writer strike. We'll see if that comes to fruition as well.
0: So he shares this unofficial graphic, and as I remember, uh, it was it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I believe was the quote
2: that was the caption that he posted, and that's why I didn't think it was official because normally if they do let the talent release information like that, like when they started talking about frozen three, the cast all posted about it, but there were dates and timelines given with it. So being that there was nothing else attached and it was just his own personal commentary, I didn't think that was the official artwork poster. Um, but what was interesting to me is that uh, it looks almost more like an Ant-Man advertisement yeah. than Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because it looks very much like the Wasp. Like right. one of those characters has wings. Um, So I think we can safely call this a teaser because there is no release. There's not even a mention about production because uh, then you read the article where he got into why this has been on hold so much and Now it kind of seems like everything is at a standstill because he's going back to Broadway for a little while.
0: Yeah, basically what he said was they were days away from starting production in 2020, but then the pandemic happened. Um, Then they were getting ready to go, but as he said, he had an insane schedule. He couldn't fit it in, and then they were going to go again, and as he said, the budget got the best of us. Knowing what's been going on with Disney and how they're trimming things back and cutting budgets to save money, that's not a surprise. I'm sure the writer strike is only going to make this worse. So at the time of this recording, it's June of 2023, I would be surprised at this point if two years from now, let, let's even round it up and call 4th of July weekend 2025, I would be surprised if we even see Shrunk, made by that point in time just between Disney not wanting to spend the money Disney pulling out of projects and now the writers strike
2: but what I do appreciate is that it's not shelved indefinitely and that he did give us a little update and confirmed that it is still happening Um, Not just with his caption, just simply by by virtue of he's still attached to it. This is kind of his baby. So he's going to champion this project and make sure that it doesn't get left on a shelf somewhere. He's going to make it happen.
0: Let's talk about Rogers the Musical.
2: Yeah, lots of Parks
0: news this week.
2: Um, This was a long-awaited update, I think, because this was announced a while ago, um, but... I was kind of, well, I was surprised and then I wasn't um, with the information we got about it. Um, You know, before Rogers was going to be in the Hyperion Theater, it was frozen. And much like we have, you know, Beauty and the Beast over at Hollywood Studios and Walt Disney World and attractions that we have deemed, quote unquote, People sucks that was the purpose of this theater is to provide a free show that can hold a lot of crowds so that you alleviate some of the tension on the bigger rides and you right. you alleviate the long lines. So instead of making this a mainstay, they're gonna put it in the Hyperion theater for two months there are limited show times every day. And instead of utilizing it to draw crowds away and prevent long lines from forming, they are essentially going to create a panic because now this is being promoted as like a limited exclusive thing. And you're gonna have to get a virtual queue, which that much I will agree with because then then all you're gonna do is have long lines forming outside of this theater. Um, but between the virtual queue, the limited food menu that you can only purchase at Rogers the Musical, I just feel like this is becoming a spectacle where it should be something that everyone can enjoy, that it, it should be there for longer so that maybe if you don't have a trip planned to Disneyland coming up, you will get to enjoy it, you know, within the next year. If you are traveling out there and you have more of an opportunity to go. Honestly, if I was if we were going to Disneyland, I would be so stressed out at the prospect of trying to see it. I would honestly rather them put this on Broadway and pay for a ticket and know that I'm in instead of having
0: to deal with this scramble. Yeah, popcorn buckets. This is what Disney has done for the last couple of years. They, at times, are very guilty of creating their own mania. It's it, manufactured have... panic. Yes, it is. The, the, the whole idea <clears throat> that this musical is coming to the theater for like a two-month run, when you don't have another Captain America film coming out, you don't have anything Marvel-related that this is tied to, and you clearly had no intentions on retiring the Frozen show so why do this is the question and then to say that you are going to have a limited number of performances per day now look we understand that these performers you know they're some of these shows run once an hour some run four times a day but it seems like they're really limiting the amount of performances that the show's gonna have selling exclusive food inside whatever i don't care Um, but the, the, the whole idea that they're like, you're going to need a virtual queue and it's not going to last long. That's it's because they're trying to drum up interest in their own product and create mania. This is the figment five hour line popcorn bucket all over again, except it's with a stage performance that you put in here with no intention on keeping it around. If they had another Captain America movie coming out, if they had another Captain America show coming to Disney Plus, and they were doing all of this in conjunction with a release, I would say at least you're tying it into something.
2: Right. But there's no, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier season two. There's no Hawkeye. This was from Hawkeye. Right. And there's no Hawkeye season two. It's over. It's done. I mean, we know we are going to eventually get another Captain America movie. But I feel like they should have held it. And maybe, I mean, maybe this is all a test to see how much interest there is. Maybe they are going to put it on Broadway eventually. But I just feel like with what an attraction like this is designed to do, they shouldn't be trying to treat it like it's some kind of exclusive experience. And they should allow it to just be a show that you can enjoy because you're trying to get on Mission Breakout and the line is too long.
0: Right. Or you're trying to escape the sun. You want to get your kids into the air conditioning. Or, God forbid, you just want to experience a nice stage show at Disney without having to be buried in an app. Right. Which is something that Disney has also very much forgotten about. Uh, Let's talk about The Haunted Mansion. The cast of the film that's opening in a couple of weeks was at Disneyland... "Quote unquote," working on the attraction.
2: This is some brilliant promo.
0: Seeing Jamie Lee Curtis, and we, you know, obviously just spent the last couple of hours talking about her. That even she showed up and she put on the cast member outfit. I, I, I'm not surprised because they would have Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean to surprise people. Um, so to have them do this is not a shock. But it's nice to see that the stars, especially somebody like a Jamie Lee Curtis, with her star power coming off of her Oscar win, she's not too big to put on a cast member outfit and go out to Disneyland for a few hours. Well,
2: that's it. They enjoy it. You have to have some fun with it. But I think it's worth noting that Johnny wanted to do that on his own. That wasn't even for a promotion. It was just because he loved Jack Sparrow and he wanted to do it. Um, But this is a really fun idea. Clearly, the cast embraced it. I think Jamie Lee Curtis would have stood out like a sore thumb to me. But Owen Wilson in the hat, I think I would have walked right past and not even realized it was him until he spoke.
0: Yeah. Like wow. he would have
2: said, yeah, he would have needed to say like a chow for my head to
0: turn. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, like, I didn't see any photos of him over in Carsland. Like, I'm wondering if he even went.
2: <laughs> I didn't even think of that.
0: Um,
2: I think I think he was there when Cars Land opened. I think they had them on the ride.
0: Yeah, but suffice to say, he should be able to just go over there whenever he wants. Oh, heck yeah.
2: He has the uh, permanent lightning lane, if you will.
0: Yes. Overnight, the Imagineers got the water tower installed over at Tiana's Bayou Adventure at Walt Disney World.
2: That was fast. And I don't just mean overturning Splash Mountain. I mean, we were just there on Monday and... We saw the scaffolding and it didn't look like that much was done. And now all of a sudden you're ready to start installing instead of removing things.
0: Well, it's funny, right, that this kind of came out of nowhere You would assume that this would be one of the last things that they would put in, like a finishing touch, but it's really brilliant because now you've got this water tower that's peeking out over the construction wall. So basically what you've just done is you've built in six months to a year, because they never get these things done on time anyway, six months to a year of advertising that Tiana is coming to the Magic Kingdom. Yes something else that's going to be coming to Walt Disney World comes as no surprise to anybody is the spring surprise in 2024 for Run Disney. And they have started to tease the theme. It's going to be Stitch's Ohana Challenge. Now I'm okay with the idea that you're going to give Stitch a series because clearly... With the exception of marathon weekend, all of the other weekend themes and challenge names and challenge medals are going to change. And that's all well and good. So if you're going to do Stitch's Ohana Challenge, that tells me that it's going to be all Lilo and Stitch. But now as people are starting to decode, our friend Lisa over at the Castle Run...
2: We have to give credit where credit is due because she did like some Taylor Swift fan level sleuthing to figure this one out.
0: It would appear that what I believe to be the 5k medal is going to be Peter Pan. I I don't, I don't understand why you're going to do a stitch challenge and it's not all going to be Lilo and stitch.
2: Right. I do agree with you. Before I respond to that, though, I do want to explain for those who have not seen it. So what they did was they have like four, they look like cards almost yeah. on a map. Um, and the stitch one is all, like the artwork is released, it's out. But the other three are, they look blacked out. They were grayed out. Lisa went through all the trouble of zooming all the way in and then she recognized the mountains of Neverland and the rainbow. And then she did a whole video. It was a really good video in her story of lining everything up and showing where this would work. Um, so I think she's spot on with that. And then one of the other ones I was trying to look at, um, I'm thinking maybe, cause clearly the theme is not just Lilo and Stitch. I'm thinking maybe the, the theme is family and that's why they chose Lilo and Stitch for Ohana then Peter Pan, You Get the Siblings, which I think is a reach. One of the other pictures, just with all of that in mind, to me looked like Encanto, if we're going with this family theme. Um, I don't know. I could be totally wrong. I don't really have a vested interest in it because I am not running. But where where it does sort of get my interest is that Run Disney always did a very good job of having a cohesive theme. Right. Um, And I mean, that has sort of expanded, like instead of just doing Remy for food and wine, now they're starting to incorporate other characters or um, they used to do. Didn't they used to do like Beauty and the Beast because that was very food centric? It was
0: Lumiere's challenge. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. They did it. I think they only did it once.
2: But I feel like in more recent years, they are just trying to cover as many characters and as many movies as they can in one race so that you're appealing to more people instead of having a cohesive theme. And I mean, to me, that's a very big deal you know go back and listen to any episode in which I talk about Hollywood studios and what I think of the theming there and you know I I miss that I miss when it wasn't just like appealing to the masses and trying to cram characters and IPs in and everything felt more like one one nice no- natural flow yes um so again maybe it's not for me to say because I'm not running and I shouldn't care so much but I feel like this does speak to what Disney is trying to do as far as marketing as a whole just by having so many different characters. And if they're worried about well you didn't get my favorite movie in there so I'm not going to run. It tells me that they care about the wrong people running these races because the people that are running for characters and photo ops should not be running. It should be for the people who are dedicated to running, which is how this started out. They're going to fill the races no matter what. They, they, I promise you, Disney, Like you can relax. You're not going to have a problem selling out these races.
0: Yeah. I, as I look at my medals that I have on the wall right now, you can see a very clear end to what used to be very cohesive theming. Yes. It's happened really in the last two years. And I am i don't shut up about COVID, stop with COVID, stop with pandemic, stop with they're just throwing things together because they don't have a lot of time. That crap's over with. I have a soul medal. Now, I like soul. I like soul. It's a good movie. Why do I have a soul medal for the Wine and Dine Half Marathon?
2: There, there was not any sort of running or food that can be tied to that movie where there's a connection where that would be like a... If the theme was music, like if they were leaning into, you know, if all four medals were very music-based movies, then great. But yeah, there there was no flow to that year.
0: And as I and I don't remember the rationale, but somebody tried to tie it in, and they were like, "Oh, well, there's this, and it's gonna be Pixar, and it's gonna be well, we just did, we're doing Pixar for Spring Surprise this upcoming year." It just seems to me like these challenges even the figment challenge right then then it's but it's not all figment and Dreamfinder coming right. up for wine and dine right if you want to change the characters out and you don't want it to be the same characters every year that's fine but what makes no sense is that why is peter pan a part of a of an ohana stitch challenge here's my thing if you need to explain to me why it works, you've, you've tried too hard. I should just be able to look at something and be like, oh, okay, that's all Pixar. Makes sense. That's all Ratatouille. That makes sense. It's all Marvel. That makes sense. In the case of the Wine and Dine Half Marathon this year, we have Encanto. Frankly, I think that they're leaning into the wrong things when it comes to the theming. Of Encanto, how, you know, and how it ties to wine and dine. Yes, Luis is the strong one. So it's, oh, muscles, athleticism, fitness. Okay, that writes itself. The whole idea that they built this entire theme over a two minute scene when they're sitting around the breakfast table arguing and ignoring the fact that you have an entire character who can fix people with food is mind-blowing, and it tells me that as cool as the medals are going to look, something has changed where they're just throwing marketing at the wall.
2: To your point with Encanto, that would have been a great overall theme for a springtime surprise, because you have the strong one, you have the food, which could tie into Flower and Garden, and you have Isabella, who's all about the flowers, like that would totally make sense,
0: but it's it's yes it would, but it makes sense to do it for wine and dine. But it's it doesn't make sense how they conceptualized it for wine and dine. No,
2: I'm saying for springtime surprise instead of just having one uh one encanto medal thrown or looped in right, with right. with wine and dine. But even I'm looking at your medals too. Like the first year that you did it, yes, it was Mickey, but those were so cute cuz you have Mickey running, you have Mickey on a passport like it it all worked
0: together. Well, that was what the challenge medal was. You had Mickey on the luggage tag for the for the 10K. Then you had the wine and dine medal, which I think was a ticket. I think it was an actual or maybe it was the ticket was the was the 10K and the luggage tag was the half. And then they had, yes, the passport that had some of the countries from World Showcase and it, the passbook, the passport opened and closed. Like it's a very cohesive kind of theme. Even the virtuals, very cohesive themes. Marvel, Incredibles, attractions with the e-ticket book. Like it all works. Now I just feel like they're like, take popular characters that people want to see on a medal and find something in the movie that ties it all together. Oh, this one dove in a swimming pool. Okay. We're going to do a water theme. Yeah. You know, like it's just they they just it seems like they're stretching their theming
2: and you're completely losing the parks in that.
0: Yeah, there's I mean, look, I'm going to run Springtime Surprise, but it and I didn't run it last year because of the theme because I don't I said I don't need another Pixar medal, but at least Pixar existed as a whole and I kind of understood where you wanted the theming though even that was just like well we need dory and nemo on a metal we need buzz and woody on a metal and I just call it pixar like but okay they needed monsters ink on a metal they they at least found something that was cohesive as i just pointed out Encanto makes sense for the wine and dine half marathon, but but the way they sold it to us, because they made such a big deal about there's that scene at the table, that meant nothing. When you have a character who's food based, like you're just you're missing the mark here. The fact that they're gonna have Peter Pan as a part of a stitch challenge, and if what you're saying is correct, and I suspect that you may be right. That they're like, oh, siblings. It's family. It's like, well, that's family in every Disney movie. What? No, well, you just had to have... kill the parents. Yeah, but then you got the siblings. So it's like, that's family. The point is, no, you needed Peter Pan on a medal. You hadn't done it yet. You clearly didn't want to do an entire Peter Pan series. You had to get Stitch on a medal. So now you're just throwing an amalgamation together over the course of a race weekend, and you're like, family. Here you go.
2: Right. Meanwhile, they did Finding Nemo under the Pixar theme last year, and this year it celebrated its 20th anniversary. That would have made sense if they did spring sim- Springtime Surprise, the Just Keep Swimming race, and right. then you lean into that theme.
0: Right. Huh. But
2: a crush medal for when you crush your it. Come on, Disney. Yeah. It writes itself.
0: It does, except the people that are writing this stuff don't seem to look at it that way. We're interested in knowing what you have to say about the news this week. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio, and for links for everything related to the show, it's going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of